Welcome, everyone. As you see on the screen, we're going to be talking about the book of Revelation in a few passages. I mentioned this on Wednesday evening. I announced that I was going to do this. And may I say, as we begin, this is a huge subject. And it's actually a subject we're going to notice what we're going to notice today in one lesson. But there are things that we're going to notice that we need a second lesson uh, to talk about. And we'll do that in just uh, due time. But let me just say this. When it comes to end times or when it comes to the book of Revelation. You know, the amazing thing is there are people in the world that know absolutely nothing about Jesus. But they know everything about the book of Revelation. They know everything about the end of times. It is, as one scholar said, though, they know so little, yet they explain it with certainty. And that's really the world today. What about the end times? And what about the book of Revelation? I may say before we begin or go any further that I am not an expert on the book of Revelation. I am not a Bible scholar on the book of Revelation. And I do believe that there are things in the book of Revelation that I will never understand thoroughly. And maybe it'll just be one of those kind of things like we used to sing, farther along we'll know all about it, farther along we'll understand why. Maybe these are going to be things that we can ask the Lord someday in heaven about that we don't understand. I want to talk about two passages that are on the screen. The first one's found in Revelation chapter 7 and verse 4. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. The second passage is found in Revelation chapter 7 and in verse 9. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number. All of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands. You know, one of the biggest problems for commentators today wrestling with the meaning of this chapter are identifying the two groups, the 144,000 and the innumerable multitude. Also, the meaning of what it means to be sealed and what is meant by the great tribulation. Well, in our lesson today, we're going to notice the following. Number one, who are the 144,000? Who makes up the 144,000 and why is that number used? Number two, who are the innumerable multitude? And finally, number three, what is meant by the great tribulation? Now... In a future lesson, we're going to notice two more things. Like number one, what is the seal of God? In fact, these Bible passages say these were sealed. So what is the seal of God? That's number one. And number two, and this is a big one. You hear it all the time. What's the mark of the beast? What is the mark of the beast? These are things that we'll notice in a future lesson. But today, we want to notice... Who are the 144,000? Who are the innumerable multitude? And what is meant by the great tribulation? Now, there's a number of varying interpretation, interpretations uh, on the book of Revelation and with also regarding these specific questions. But what I want to do is I want to do this. I want to investigate these three things 
in light of other New Testament passages. In other words, I'm looking for an explanation. I'm looking for a summary. I'm looking for a conclusion that coincides with the rest of the New Testament. And we're going to try to do that today. What is meant by these things? Now, the reason for my study, by the way, uh, on this lesson is because I read an article from a man. He was a preacher. And he was a preacher of some religious affiliation, some affiliation. And he got a phone call. And a young man on the other end of this phone call asked a question of him. And this man, based on this conversation and based on his conclusions, he wrote an article. And this is what he said. The young man said, in light of Revelation chapter 7, he said, I'm really confused. Are there really only going to be 144,000 in heaven? Or will there be an innumerable multitude? One passage says 144,000. The other passage alludes to an innumerable multitude. And the caller asked, what about these passages? This preacher explained these two passages as follows. And I got to tell you, I got to tell you, at first glance, I thought, man, I've never heard it put that way, but that is right. I got a little excited. His explanation sounded so reasonable. I got excited about it. This is what he said, by the way. Here was his explanation. In Revelation chapter 7 and verse 4, And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. And this is what the preacher said. He said the 144,000 represent the children of Israel that were saved. In fact, he said that. He said these are Jewish saved. And the reason for that, by the way, because you look at the very next verse, and it lists the 12 tribes of Israel. And so, therefore, there are these from this tribe, these from this tribe, these from this tribe, and so on and so forth. I got excited. made sense. 144,000 represent the saved Jews. Then he went further. The question was this, though. The man asked the question, why only 144,000 Jews will be saved? And the preacher said, he explained it and said, it's not an exact or specific number intended to be exact, 144,000, but it's to signify a definite multitude. In other words, encapsulated in the idea of uh, the saved Jews. Then verse 9. After these things, I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number. This is what he said, and it made sense to me at first. This represents the saved Jews. This represents the saved Gentiles. And man, it sounded great. He explained Gentile Christians. But then the caller asked this. The caller asked the question. Why do the saved Jews have a number and the saved Gentiles do not? And by the way, this is the only other position other than the one I'm going to present that we're going to look at. Don't want to confuse everybody. But this is what he said. The reason that the Jews have a number and the Gentiles do not have a number, this was his answer, his response. 
The 144,000 is figurative, but means that all that the number is sealed because no Jew after the death of Christ will be saved out of the Jewish system. The great multitude is not a number because people are being saved by the blood of Jesus every day. Sounds great. This is what he concluded, though. He said people living today are not part of the 144,000 in heaven because that number only applied to the number of the saved Jews under a system that was nailed to the cross. But there's room in heaven for all Christians, no matter how great the multitude gets. Now, I got to tell you, I thought that was fantastic at first. And since I hadn't really heard that position before, I remember on Wednesday night I mentioned it to Darren. I said, you ever heard of that position? It was a position I had never heard before. So I thought, you know what I better do? I better study. I better study and not just look at one man's explanation of these passages. I better take a look at it. I got to tell you something. You know what J.W. McGarvey said? That I was guilty of what J.W. McGarvey warned against. J.W. McGarvey said, when wish is father to the thought, it makes true exegesis like water off a duck's back. All that means is this. If I have a thought in my mind or a conclusion already drawn in my mind, and then I go search books and search scholars to prove my point, it makes understanding the scriptures virtually impossible. You know what I was doing? I thought, man, this guy's got it. He's nailed it. He's nailed it down. I got it. I got to find some scholars that agreed. And nobody did but one. Ten scholars disagreed with this position. So let's look at the, what I believe is a better explanation of these passages. Let's go to Revelation chapter 7 and verse 4 again. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of, of the children of Israel were sealed. Burton Kaufman said it like this. He said, the 144,000 are identified as servants of God. And that's found in verse 3. The innumerable multitude are called followers of the Lamb. That's verse 14. Therefore, these could not be, stay with me on this, these could not be two different classes of persons, but it has to be the same group. God does not have any servants who are, to also, who are not also followers of the Lamb. So the 144,000 is a symbolic number used to represent the whole number of the redeemed of the earth. This is spiritual Israel. This is the church. Spiritual Israel. Stay with me, please. If the number 144,000 is symbolic then, then the word tribes also has to be symbolic. They represent symbolically the church that is on the earth, spiritual Israel. Let me give you some Bible passages to support this position. Where the old is referred to in a symbol, but it's talking about the new spiritual Israel or the Israel of God and so forth and so on. Or the 12 tribes as conveyed or as explained as the church. Let me notice some passages with you. Romans chapter 2 verses 28 and 29. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly. Nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. 
But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. Spiritual Israel, not literal Israel. Circumcision is not outward anymore. Under the law of Moses, there was a, a male child was circumcised the eighth day. That was a sign. That was a covenant. We don't have that now. You know what we have? We have circumcision of the heart. We don't have fleshly Israel as God's people today. We have spiritual Israel, which is God's people today, which is the church. Let's go further, though. How about this? In Galatians chapter 6, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. So, who are the Israel of God? Those that are in Jesus Christ. Same people. Those that are in Christ are the Israel of God. Spiritual Israel, the church. Let's go further. Philippians 3 and verse 3. For we are the circumcision. Now, we already talked about the fact that we're not circumcised in the flesh. It's not about that anymore. So here it says this. Paul writing to the church at Philippi, writing to God's people, writing to Christians, members of the Lord's church, that Jesus said, I will build in Matthew 16, established on the day of Pentecost in AD 33, Acts 2. He wrote to these brethren that had done that, and he said, we are the circumcision. Who are they who worship God in the spirit? What else do they do? They rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. So these are passages that refer to the idea that the spirit, that we are spiritual Israel and not literal Israel. Okay. So here's a question, though. If the number is symbolic... The 144,000. What is the significance? Well, first of all, let me just say, the number 12 is a number of religious significance in the Bible. There's a lot of different numbers, by the way. We know that. You can look at the book of Revelation, and you can find out what these numbers mean and so forth and so on. But the number 12 was always a religiously significant number. The 12 sons of Jacob became the 12 tribes of Israel. We have the 12 apostles. We have in heaven the 12 foundations, the apostles of the Lamb, and so forth. The number 12 is a very significant number religiously in the Bible. We know that. Now, all that being said, when a number is multiplied by itself, and that number is multiplied by 1,000, it is used to signify completeness. So that's what we know so far. What we know is this. The number 12, a religiously significant number, multiplied by itself, multiplied by 1,000, is 144,000. What does it mean? It means this. It signifies completeness. And we'll get to what that is in just a minute. Complete. What is complete? All we know is this for sure. 144,000 signifies completeness. Now, 144,000 
does not refer to Jewish Christians. It's referring to all Christians. Did you get that? It signifies completeness. It's not talking about Jewish Christians that were saved by the blood of Jesus. It's talking about all Christians that have lived. Signifies completeness. It's referring to spiritual Israel. It's referring to the whole number of the redeemed. Get this though. On the earth. So 144,000 represents the redeemed on the earth. Who's that? That's the church. That's the church. The 144,000 that were sealed represents all of the redeemed, a sign of completeness. That's the church on the earth. Okay. More on that in just a minute. But then we look at verse 9. We've got to look to verse 9. And it says this. After these things, I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could number. A great multitude which no one could number. Now whether this was a second vision as some commentators say or the same vision, two illustrations, really is irrelevant. All we know is this. John the Revelator saw the 144,000. Then John the Revelator also saw in a vision as he looked and behold a great multitude which no one could number. You think about it that way? Sometimes we think that there's going to be just a few in heaven because Jesus says, and few there be that find it. We understand all that, right? We get it. But notice, there was a great and innumerable number in heaven. Just a little side note here. Uh, Darren said this to me the other day. And, you know, we think about people in heaven. Have you ever stopped to think of every child that's ever been killed that never came to the age of, of accountability? They're going to be in heaven. They're going to be part of that innumerable number. What about those that have been aborted? They're going to be in that number. You think about all of that. All of the ones perhaps that mentally did not have the mental capabilities of understanding. You know what's going to happen? They're going to be in that number. And you know what? They're going to be in that number, and that number is going to represent people that are not, I don't know what the politically correct uh, challenge, special, whatever you say. They won't be that way there. They'll be like Jesus, like the rest of the redeemed. So, John saw this. Now, who made up the great multitude of, that had an innumerable number? Here are the ones that were found in that category. They were people of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Isn't that great? And you know what they're going to look like? It's pictured like this. Now remember, these are figures, okay? But this is how John pictures it. Clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands. You know, white is the color of heaven. It's a heavenly color, I should say, meaning purity. And the Bible says that John said 
that all of those redeemed that were in heaven, those that were saved, were standing before the throne and before the Lamb. That's Jesus. Clothed in white, a color of purity. And by the way, we're going to have to be pure. It's not based on our own good, but we're, we are made pure in that realm so that we can actually be worthy to stand before the throne and before the Lamb. So when that happens, guess what? We look like those that are with white robes, meaning purity now, before the throne and before the Lamb. But there's more. What about the palm branches? What about the palm branches? You know, palm branches represent two things. Number one, palm branches represent celebration. I think it was in the Feast of Tabernacles, if I'm not mistaken. They came with on those festive times with palms in their hands. You know why? It was a time of celebration. When Jesus made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem on the back of that colt of that donkey, he came in, and you know what they did? They threw down the palm branches and said, Hosanna to the highest. It's a time of celebration. That's number one. But there's more. It also represents, and I think this is beautiful, victory. Victory. Wouldn't it be great to be in a place where we can feel finally victorious? That's what it means. So these are those that finally get to the place of victory. Who are these people? What else describes this group? Verse 11 says they worship God sitting on his throne. Verse 14, their robes are washed in the blood of the Lamb. Verse 15, they serve God daily in the temple, the church. And verse 17, Jesus guides them. This describes the people that are in this innumerable multitude before the throne and before the Lamb, victorious. Who are they, folks? That's saved Christians. That is all of the saved Christians. Now, why two illustrations if they represent the same group? So remember we said this. We said there's two, two illustrations, two visions, one vision, two illustrations, whatever you want to call it. But they represent the same people. So this young man in asking the question, remember he asked the question too, why are there two illustrations? If it's referring to the same people, this is our answer or my position on this. There's two different answers or two different illustrations representing the same people. And this is what it is. According to these scholars and many others I did not cite, the 144,000 represent the church militant. I'll get to that in a minute. The great multitude represents the church triumphant. It's the same people under different circumstances. So what in the world is church militant? Mr. Hendrickson, who phrased it like that, church militant is this. Christians, God's people, on earth who struggle as soldiers for Christ against sin. That's who that is. It's the church when you're living. What about the great multitude? It's those that have made it to heaven for eternity. 
those that found victory, those that made it. What are they talking about, folks? Talking about the same people. Are you part of the 144,000? Yes. It's a symbolic number. It's a symbolic number of completeness. It's representing the church on earth while you're living at any point in time, by the way, from AD 33 all the way up until the Lord comes back. Those Christians, those members of the church, that church is representative with the word with the number 144,000. Great. Let's go on. What about the church triumphant? One day when it's all over with and the Lord comes back and we go to heaven. And we stand before the throne and before the Lamb in white with those palm branches in our hands. That is the Christians that have made it to heaven. Victorious. All right. So what about this? This is a big one and very much misunderstood. What is the great tribulation? What is it? We go to verses 13 and 14. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Well, who are these that are arrayed in white robes? In other words, who are they? John said he saw them in white robes before the throne and before the Lamb. So in this discussion, through this vision, one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in robes, and where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know. So he said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. I'm going to tell you, that right there is so misunderstood today. There is a religious belief and position that the great tribulation happens after what is known as the rapture. By the way, if you look up the definition of rapture, okay, one of the definitions is resurrection. We believe in that. We believe in the resurrection, but not the doctrine of the rapture. Do you know why? Because the doctrine of the rapture believes this. It's not when Jesus comes back. It's like a bumper sticker I saw just two days ago. I, actually, it was on a license plate. It said, in case of a rapture, this truck will be unmanned. The doctrine of the rapture is this. That all of a sudden, here you go, and the rapture hits, and boom, there you go, and you're pulled up. You're out of here. The ones that are left behind go through a period of tribulation. And then the Lord comes back. There is, no Bible, there is no Bible fact that supports such a doctrine. When is the great tribulation? What is it? I know that people have all kinds of ideas, but what is it? What is the great tribulation? Because here's the thing. Here's the thing. The ones that are arrayed in white robes, those that are saved victorious are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. We know that. All right. What do we know about tribulations, though? And what does that actually mean? In Acts chapter 14 and verse 22, notice this. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying, we must go through many tribulations... To enter the kingdom of God. There's not one great tribulation. And by the way. By the way. Some scholars said it was all kinds of stuff. One scholar said. It's the martyrs who have died for their faith. I'm going to tell you right now. A martyr that died for his faith. Whoever that was. Whether it's the apostle Paul. 
beheaded, whether it's Peter that was crucified upside down, whether it was Polycarp that was burned at the stake, or anyone else that has died as a martyr for their faith, or the first martyr of all, and that's Stephen. Was that a tribulation? Yeah, that was a tribulation. But you know, they're not going to have one step up over you who have lived your life faithful unto death and the persecutions that come your way in life. Not going to be any leg up for the one that's died as a martyr. More so than a person that's just held, held the truth and held to the faith all of their life. So this says in Acts 14, there's going to be many tribulations. What else? 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12. Listen to this. Yes, and all who desire to live godly will suffer persecution. Will. You know, we've said this so many times. We don't really know what it's like to be persecuted. You know, during this pandemic, you've heard me say, I'm going to say for the third time, we have not been persecuted, we've been inconvenienced. And in our country, and it may change, it really may, we may be in, in, in for some difficult times coming up for God's people. It very well may be coming. But I'm going to tell you right now, I have never suffered like those early Bible Christians suffered for the cause of Christ. I have not. I don't think you have either. Not like them. But this is a general statement. It all encompasses everything. Anyone who desires to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution of some kind. So don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged and chicken out or quit or turn your back. Don't do that. Don't do that. You know, interesting about the shield of faith that the Bible talks about, the shield of faith. You know, those soldiers would take that shield and it was, it was huge. And it was in front of them and they would get behind it like this. And they would, they would, the fiery darts would be coming from the wicked, from the enemy right at them. And they would just keep moving and keep moving forward. And the shield of faith is what that's referring to. The shield protected them as long as they stayed in the fight. But if they turned around and ran away, there was nothing to protect them. Yeah, you may suffer persecution, but you better stay in the fight. And the shield of faith is what will ricochet those fiery darts from the wicked from your life. There's more. In John chapter 16, please get this. If you were of this world... The world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I have chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. What do we want to notice here? The world hates you. They will also persecute you. Incidentally, do you know why sometimes governments and law enforcements and so forth at times hates Christians? Because we believe we have a higher standard of authority. And it bugs them to death when we tell them we have a higher standard of authority. So when they want to enact laws or put laws in our path to make us do something that violates the word of God, what we say is, no, sir, we will not. We will stand for what God said. You know what happens when you do that? The world's going to hate you. 
and you may even have persecutions in your life. So, what is the Great Tribulation? The period of the Great Tribulation is the whole Christian life. And by the way, that period of tribulation began in AD 33 when the church was established. It's going on right now. In 2020, this is the period of the Great Tribulation too. And it's going to stay there all the way until Jesus comes back someday. That is the Great Tribulation. Now, why is that significant? It's significant because we find that those that come out of the Great Tribulation are the ones who are going to have the white robe and standing before the throne and standing before the Lamb as the church victorious. I, 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 if that doesn't encourage you, I don't know what to say. It's going to get difficult. Things are going to get difficult. Make it tougher. Make it worse. I'm 53 and I don't know how long I'm going to live. But at some point in time, I'm going to be gone. It's entirely possible that in my lifetime, Tom and I were talking about this the other day, in our lifetimes we may not see it, but what about our kids and grandkids? What about the persecution of our kids and grandkids? So what we need to do is we need to start educating our kids and grandkids that they're going to have some difficult times, but just know this, when you make it through the great tribulation, that's your life. That is a Christian's life. When you make it through and you're faithful to the end, you're going to stand there victorious before the Lamb. Victorious before the Lamb. That's encouraging to me. That's very encouraging to me. What else do we know about this? One more passage along this line. And then we'll get to our conclusion. Remember the church at Smyrna, one of the seven churches of Asia? They were the persecuted church. I'm going to tell you, you could read their history. And it was awful. They were undergoing some terrible, terrible things. In fact, many of them were about to lose their own life. They're about to have terrible things happen to them. Jesus, writing to the seven churches of Asia, when he came to Smyrna, Jesus says, do not fear any of those things which you're about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison. And you may be tested. <coughs> and you will have tribulation ten days. What's ten days? One short lifetime. That's it. And by the way, compared to eternity, you know, I can do anything for ten days, Right? For eternity. You're going to have tribulation. But don't worry. Jesus said it's only going to be 10 days. One short lifetime. But then he said this. But be faithful unto death. And I will give you a crown of life. Now. Sometimes this is interpreted like this. If you're faithful all the days of your life. Until your life ends. Then we're going to have a reward in heaven. That is true. But that's not the context here. The context here is more severe. What the Lord was saying is this. He was saying something that was applicable and applied to them. Be faithful unto death, meaning be faithful even if it means your death. That's what that means. 
Even if you're going to lose your life, you still be faithful. And I'll give you a crown of life. That's the great tribulation, folks. It's going on right now. All those that live godly will suffer persecution. It's going to happen. Okay? So in conclusion, and I'm finished. In conclusion, the 144,000 represent the militant church. What is that? That's God's people or Christians on earth, that's you and me, who struggle as soldiers for Christ against sin. Those are in the 144,000. 144,000 is a number, not specific, but a symbol meaning completeness. It's all those that are in the church on the earth doing that. Now, the innumerable multitude represents the triumphant church in heaven after the second coming of Christ. And number three, the great tribulation is the whole Christian life. Now, folks, I'm going to tell you something. You can read a number of scholars, and they're going to give different interpretations, but you can take this, what I just said, you can take this and, and prove it with the, with the New Testament. It does not violate any of the New Testament. And by the way, any claim that the 144,000 represent saved Jews and the innumerable multitude represents saved Gentiles, okay? That can't be. There's no other passage in the book of Revelation that talks about saved people that were distinguished by race. In fact, to the contrary in the word of God, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither bond nor free. There's neither male nor female. We are all one in Christ Jesus. So barriers of race do not exist in the mind of God. Why would 144,000 be distinguishing a Jewish race and the innumerable multitude distinguishing a Gentile race? No, it's not at all. This is the church right now on earth till the Lord comes back. And this is when we make heaven the same people, the same group. Finally, one thing I'll leave you with. You might be asking, no, wait, wait a minute. Did that mean that no Jews were saved? I didn't say that. We know that if you lived obedient before Jesus came and died for the sins of the world, and you lived before Jesus, going all the way back to the patriarchs, the blood of Jesus at the cross went backward and covered their sins too. So I'm not saying that there were no Jews that were saved. Did not say that. I'm just saying 144,000 doesn't represent them. It represents the church. I hope this was uh, interesting to you. I hope it was clear. I uh, spent a lot of time and a lot of prayer hoping that it would be. Coming up, though, and I'm not going to save the very next lesson because if I change my mind, I want, I want the freedom to do that. But it's entirely possible that the next time I'm going to talk on what is the seal of God and what is the mark of the beast. Big topics, big things that are discussed today in the religious world. I'm through. Thank you so much for your kind listening to what we had to consider and I hope what was said was helpful and edifying and encouraging to you in some ways. We try to understand these passages better. We never close a time when we preach from God's word that we don't extend an invitation. Maybe you're here today and you're not a child of God. You can become one. You can become part of the church. You can become part of the 144,000. Come believing in Jesus. Repent of your sins. Confess his name as the son of God. And be baptized in water for the remission of your sins and added to the body of Christ. 
Maybe you've taken those steps of obedience, but you've strayed away, and there are things in your life you need to correct. Why don't you do that today? Repent of those things, confess those things, and we'll pray with you and for you, and God will forgive. There'll be one of either class. Come forward while we stand and while we stand. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 730 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.